beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. I am, I, I feel even like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist, so that makes me a racist. And for me, at 68 years of age, to have to turn around and say, I ain't racist. What's well, it got to do with me? I'm well, okay, how can I be racist about anybody? How can I be racist about anybody or anything in my life? How can I? Well, 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 I well what? We'll, we'll be right well, back. What? We have more topics, so don't go away. And I think we uh-huh. should stop this. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Three Black Men. I am Robert. What's up? I am Sam. Hi, I'm Trey. <laughs> We're three black men. <laughs> okay, how are y'all? You know, hey man, here we try to keep it happening, though. I, I, I ain't about to lie to you, so don't ask me no more follow up questions on this one. <laughs> <laughs> that is about how it's going at this point. Right, that's a loaded question with a whole outpouring of emotion in the answer. So we will say it was a good day. Truly. It was a I, good day. I'm gonna I, say it was a day that the Lord has made. <laughs> he got us up this morning. He started us on our me. way. Hey. I'm, I'm working on rejoicing and being glad in it. It's still a day that the Lord has made, though, and I and I'm gonna acknowledge that. That's where I'm That's at right, right now. That's what's well, up. In I Jesus' name, that. I, I respect it. I hear you. it's been a week. It has. <laughs> we I all hate. had some days like that this week. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm yeah, crawling to the it. finish line. I hear you. Hit me. But we standing, man. Or, That's it, man. We here. Yeah. I mean, sitting technically, but y'all, y'all got the, y'all got the drill. You know the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. So on the pod today, we are going to be talking about interrogating nonviolence. Putting and nonviolence on the hot seat. On the hot seat. On the and, stand. And uh, just to give a bit of a context, uh, as we get into it, I I brought this uh, to the table and to the space because I have been thinking about uh, this issue of nonviolence, and especially as it relates to Black people, and how in a lot of spaces we are expected to be that peaceful, uh, calm uh, Negro (laughs) in even as we are being uh, bullied, even as we are being assaulted, whether it's with words, whether it's with physical violence. And often we are praised for being calm in situations that are very deleterious to our being, right? And so um, there is this often um, 
Christian ethic and Christian notion that look at that calm person. Um, and it's especially given to black people, even as we are, uh, are, are being assaulted with white rage. Uh, I want to localize it even there. And, um, and we are given um, this praise uh, in this imbalanced way where uh, um, our white counterparts um, are not critiqued for their lack of um, restraint, but we are praised for you, you held in all your thoughts while you were being berated. Um, you're so awesome. <laughs> and as I started to think about, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and even uh, the juxtaposition most people place between him and Malcolm, that's usually like this false dichotomy that people try and place between them. And, um, and then lastly, as I was thinking about um, this incident with Cheryl Underwood and this incident mm -hmm. that many of us saw, um, play out in this viral clip on the talk where Sharon Osborne, one of her co-hosts railed on her. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, Cheryl Underwood had to be professional as her white. Uh, <laughs> got, as, as, as she got to be a white woman. I mean, just yeah, she got, as, to, she got be to be full Karen yeah. on her. And everyone said, wow, Cheryl, you got to be the bigger person. And I guess what I want to bring to the table, even to start off the conversation, is I want to live in a world where Cheryl Underwood doesn't only have to be praised for keeping in all of her emotions, right? And that being the highest ethic that we can ascribe to, right? And so often nonviolence for the Black person looks like reigning in our emotions while we're being assailed. And so just thoughts in general. So nonviolence often isn't critiqued. We just kind of think of it as something that's just, oh, we just nonviolent passivity is okay. And then us as Christians, we don't critique it. We don't think deeply about it. And I just want to have a conversation on the pod about it. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So just for some clarification, are you speaking in terms of like, during like an initial moment of trauma or um you know some sort of racial issue or do you mean like that moment and the lasting like the hereafter like after that moment they still have to main we still have to maintain this sort of like professionalism and you know what i'm saying and there's not really room for us to really air our grievances in a sense or you just mean like in that moment both uh, but especially the latter. I mean, I didn't even think yeah. about that. You're bringing something uh, to the table. Both. Come on, Sarah. Well, because you I, think I, 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 I like both <laughs> thoughts. So speak okay. to me about both. Yeah. So I, I, I say that because or I frame it that way, because for me, it's, it's a bit nuanced. Um, because it's, it's so difficult because we battle so much um, just with being just with carrying the skin right and so there's so many stereotypes that sometimes we're taught as as being younger to not fit in those stereotypes right we're, we're taught to to fight to fight against those so um 
well, they think I'm a black male. So I'm, my natural instinct is to be hostile and mean. So no matter what, don't show them that, that you're that, right? So I think in a moment where Sharon, with, with specifically Cheryl and, and that Shannon Osborne situation, that I hated that because honestly, I wish Cheryl would have been able to gather her. <laughs> uh, like, you know what I'm saying? I, I really wish Cheryl Underwood would have been, a, been able to gather her quickly because <laughs> I, I, I literally come to work with somebody who publicly supported somebody who's overt, like the, the, he's out loud racist. You know what I'm saying? And, to, and, to, and to, just to be clear, uh, the argument that was ensuing on the talk was on the talk, which is the show that they're on, was over uh, Sharon Osbourne's support of Piers Morgan. Right. And Piers over Morgan is about is, Meghan Markle. Yeah. And Piers Morgan yeah. is controversial all day. He's been accused of being racist, misogynist, et cetera. But go ahead. Yeah. So, um, and I think, I think a lot of times we find ourselves in situations like that, especially if it happens um, on our jobs, right? Like, you know, on, on a daily nine to five job, you have to sometimes be like Cheryl was in that situation. And I think it's terrible because so many times there needs to be this sort of reckoning. And I feel like they, there needs to be this moment of reality and we can't do it in the moment because we there's that internal struggle of not wanting to fit this sort of stereotype. You know what I'm saying? But then even afterwards, like even the aftermath, you look at this situation that was public, there's still really no attention on the fact that this lady probably really is racist, right? Like, and she she has no issue with having racist friends. And that's a problem because I think it speaks to the everyday person because it's, it's not just her because she's a, you know, star or whatever. She's on a talk show or she knows, you know what I'm saying? It, it's not because it, like there are people that live their everyday lives that have the same sort of mentality. Yeah. And this happens every day. And nobody will look at that as a mirror to say, is this me? Who are you talking? Sir? That's, that's, I'm, yo, okay. So I think that's that's the point I have right there because in my heart of hearts, y'all know um, past the trail file. I, I have the, the, the little pastors, uh, pastoral heart in, in my my goal is always to be people oriented and things of that nature and for that result i have a, a special like reverence and honor for the idea of nonviolence, right but here's the problem i have um nonviolence is not a means unto itself like yes it's an aspirational thing we, we hope that everybody could be nonviolent, but the world's like literally the world's two most known or, or, or notorious uh, propagators of nonviolent direct action, who would you say they are in the history of the world? Like Martin Luther King and Gandhi, I would say, yeah. right? Like it's yeah, who you yeah. hold up to. So both of them, number one, use nonviolence as a vehicle to expose the barbarity in others. <laughs> it's something okay. we need say to acknowledge. And then, and then second true. of all, the way that we review them and everything, we, we honor them for being nonviolent and don't put a whole lot of weight behind the fact that both of them were murdered by by a bullet. Like both of them were assassinated in cold blood. So there's, there's a couple of things we have to re reckon with right there. When people are the most nonviolent, it is usually a conscious decision that they have made 
to expose the barbarity in someone else, to, to expose the fact that, look, even if I don't do anything outrageous, they're going to react in this way, is, is what, what Martin Luther King had in mind, as well as Gandhi, in a sense. Um, but there's also the fact that we have to consider what does it mean when we don't acknowledge or respect or, or appreciate the humanity of the person who is adhering to nonviolence to the degree that we cannot even take two glances at the barbarity that they were trying to expose. Mm. At that point, nonviolence becomes almost a circus trick of sorts because you're not even listening. Look, I said I'm being nonviolent so that you can see this. I'm not going to be nonviolent so you think I'm holy. No, I'm going to be nonviolent so that we can be holy. I don't believe in all of this stuff being in isolation. And secondly, we need to recognize the fact that even when people are committed to that, they still end up dying at the hands of violence. So what, what does it say about us that we are so committed to this principle of nonviolence while we insist on ignoring verse, both the violence that that nonviolence was supposed to expose and oh. the violence that terminates that nonviolence. Like we need to interrogate all of those things. Yeah, making it, sense right now. You are making sense. And I, <laughs> you preach it. Okay. Okay. Pastor. I, uh, listen, I, listen, for me, I, I think, you know, in line with what you're saying, Trey, I, I have to ask myself a few questions in that same vein is, is nonviolence, why, or why is nonviolence something that we aspire to? So the knee jerk reaction is, oh, that we, we want it. And I, I always ask people why, um, because if we don't ask the why, we end up spite, we just spout rhetoric, right? And we just, and we aren't able to fully interrogate um, the lens that we have and uh, where we're going, right? And so often people push forth Gandhi uh, without um, fully interrogating the lens that made Gandhi what he was. And people say, Martin Luther King, to your point, y'all, we killed Martin Luther King Jr. And we have to fully interrogate the 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 forces and the pressures that made Martin Luther King Jr. the man that he was. And I think we do a disservice when we just say, oh, the peace is the answer. Well, you, sure. How though? And why? And, you know, I began to think recently um, of Wakanda. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, <laughs> And uh, wanna <laughs> touch your neighbor and say he's going somewhere with this. Uh, no, <laughs> no um, so part of, of, of the thought process behind creating uh, the fictional uh, realm of Wakanda was what could Africa have been like if left untouched by colonizers, right? Oh, snap. Right. And what could an African nation have been like if left to their own devices? What beauty could have erupted? What could um, technology could have come forth left pure and undefiled by the outside world? Right. And so we have this fictional realm that was created in Black Panther. And that is some some of what resonated with black people as we went to go see that movie, right? 
And there was this affinity that we found with this muti with that movie as we felt this calling home, right? I think there's there was something in it that called us to a higher place of being, right? And so I think when we look at nonviolence as an ethic and peace as an ethic, I I, I want to say what if we take the oppressor the oppressor out of it what can we think about without the oppressor being in the midst without white supremacy being in the midst is is kind of what i'm alluding to and i think we often look at martin luther king jr and gandhi but we don't think about all the things that we're trying to stamp out their life and to your point trey martin luther king jr was killed <laughs> Um, even as he espoused peace. And Martin Luther King Jr. was oppressed even by other white evangelicals at the time who told him that the pastor's place isn't in politics. <laughs> there were other white pastors that were saying, hey, this isn't your role. And they were saying he was too radical. <laughs> and so even him being nonviolent was too violent for some. And so it, I, I, the reason why I want to interrogate this today is that was too violent to some, even him getting beat up at Soma. Um, Yo, you really Which is right. a mess. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here wrestling with this because you, you just mentioned something really interesting about the Wakanda analogy, right? When you was like, oh, the part of the point was to say what would happen if, if Africa were unmolested by the colonists, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that resonated with me because I'm, I'm taking this class right now, right now called Religion and the Law, right? It's looking at how the First Amendment has been applied or failed to be applied throughout the history of the United States when it comes to uh, religion, like anti-establishment um, and, and, and free exercise clause issues, right? And I was reading this case called Wisconsin versus Yoder, right? Uh, where these um, Amish people in Wisconsin were charged with uh, violating compulsory schooling, um, compulsory education orders for not sending their kids to high school after eighth grade. Um, and the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court over a five out of five that these three families were given, right? Um, and eventually the Supreme Court of the United States overturned the original conviction. It was like, that was a um, free exercise clause. Um, and one of the things that was argued in front of the Supreme Court was a sociologist named uh, Holstetter, I forget his first name, but Holstetter was the name of the sociologist who was actually from um, the old order Amish tradition, eventually converted, but he became a sociologist studying that. And he talks about the rich Amish history going all the way back to the the 15th and 16th centuries in, in Eastern Europe and all the persecution they've endured and how the education they get at home is actually like uh, preparing them for the world better than the public schools could because they get vocational training and everything. And the justices go on to kind of romanticize what the Amish represent and how they're the, the yeoman that Thomas Jefferson idealized when he was talking about all these things. And, and he uses this 300 years of, of strength and self-sufficiency as a credit to their tradition and why they don't need to be in the schools. And the whole time I'm reading this case, I'm thinking, what would happen if we show, show that same respect and reverence for self-determination for Black people throughout history? Mm. Do we think that Black people could have accomplished this level of self-sufficiency to the point where now, wow, wow, maybe we can learn a couple things about educating our children from them if we had not been harassed, 
kidnapped, had communities destroyed when they finally got successful, all of those things. And the reason I feel like that whole illustration is relevant beyond the Wakanda uh, uh, analogy is that the Amish are part of the peace brethren, right? That that whole branch of Christian, like their whole thing is anabaptism. They're 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 radical, nonviolent people to the point of being separatists. Like when when we feel the, the the wrath, we will evade. And when they're successful in that, when when we can find room to say, okay, you know what, this is fine. We'll leave them because they don't bother nobody. And 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 the the accomplishments that they're able to lay claim to become admirable to us all of a sudden that, that that's something to look up to. But when you look at it, nonviolence that uh, you refuse to leave unmolested, right? Nonviolence that you insist on meeting with violence at every turn, all of a sudden it becomes something like, wow, look at them being nonviolent instead of interrogating the violence that drove them to that place in the first place. So I look at that as an example of a nonviolent movement that we don't even look at as, we look at the Amish like, oh, wow, look, look, look at that way of life that they're preserving. And we don't think about the fact that what, what has got them that far is is nonviolence to the point of being separatist. But here you have a, a whole bunch of other people uh, being nonviolent, and we 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 worship them for being nonviolent instead of considering what what are they being nonviolent in response to. <laughs> are, are we trying yeah, to say that no. violence is a natural state? No, violence is usually a reaction to something. Nonviolence is 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 a reaction to violence. It's mm -hmm. what it is. Otherwise, we wouldn't start with a negator. Am I making sense right now? Yeah, it makes a yeah. lot of sense. Go yeah. Ahead, well, you know, for me, I get torn because um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, and we've talked about it before. You know, I would I wish um, Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X had realized sooner, you know, how much they needed each other. Um, sure, sure, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just because I I feel like. I agree, you know, with the whole, with nonviolence and, and what it, and in this statement that it makes, like, that was a real strong point. But then I'm also one of those ones that like, there's a certain level of humiliation that I, part of me will not let myself get to. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. they're like, and, 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 and I'm not, and, and, and when and, and when we're t in terms of nonviolence and violence, I'm not speaking necessarily, you know, to the point of throwing hands, but you know, I might need to, I mean, I might need to, to to gather you quickly, um, and let you know that I'm not my ancestors. You know what I'm saying? And 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 that if necessary, I I do have hands, but I still love Jesus. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, I operate in the fivefold ministry. hands. <laughs> the laying on of hands now um so there's that balance and and it's tough because that that's where i was saying like even even after those moments there there's not the moment like what trey said where it's like okay so why why did why did they have to why did he have to respond that way why did she have to respond that way there's not that moment and that's what's frustrating for me and i feel like yeah we need times where we need somebody like <laughs> we need somebody like a cardi b that'll gather the right person publicly for them to be like yo well why is she acting like that no because when cheryl did it y'all didn't want to listen yeah hey that's right i agree with you go ahead I, you know what i'm saying i hear you i hear you because look 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 
one thing um nonviolence is only an option when violence is a reasonable expectation right <laughs> otherwise it would just be existing Nonviolence is only uh, like the, it, it only works as an option if violence is an alternative so right. when you say like i wish that Mal malcolm and martin would have realized they needed each other yeah i think you're kind of right because my nonviolence is only noticeable if violence is a reasonable so like I, honestly i wish they would have gone in, into a room together sometimes and been like look i suggest you deal with with Martin, because if you don't, you won't have to deal with me. Like I wish a couple of them that, conversations that, happened. That. Yes, because yes. <laughs> here's what I mean by that. And, and another way of saying this is, okay, if we if somebody responds to something with violence, there's oh my gosh, what what got them there? Like what 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 could have led them to that? And when we view nonviolence and violence as as two sides of the same coin, as as something that is done as a means to achieving an end, right? Nonviolence doesn't work its full effect like we, we're not looking at the right things if we don't also ask the question what provoked them to nonviolence? what got them to that point yeah am, am i making sense yeah, yeah. and i yeah. think what was what bothers me among many things is you know not just in terms of violence outward um actions of violence but even when I notice even when people of color in general speak passionately, that is interpreted as violence as well. And as we're interrogating nonviolence, um, what I want to interrogate, what I part of my interrogation is when we speak passionately, when we name things, when we speak it plain, that is also to be very clear, I want to say it on this podcast, that is also interpreted as violence. Absolutely. Yeah. Often. Absolutely. When I say things, I don't like that. That is interpreted a lot of times as, oh my, that's so direct. That's violent. No, it's not. And and that's so and so that's so when I'm interrogating nonviolence, I want I want to say part of what is even seen as the highest good is being passive. And I want to say, I want to make a delineation. We, part of what you, you even assume as the highest ethic is a passive doormat and you attribute that to people of color. You don't attribute it to all people because when I'm in rooms with white men, they act straight ratchet. <laughs> And they're seen as direct. <laughs> um, they are seen as they know what they're doing. Um, and then so, if, I, if I say, I just don't like, oh, wow, this is kind of bold and commute. I, I, I feel a way. No, that's seen as violence <laughs> communicated from a black brother, communicated from a, a Latina. Um, no. <laughs> and I want to say my highest ethic is not being palatable to white people. <laughs> um, Nonviolence today is not equating with, I want to be as palatable to everyone as possible. Um, and we see it even with Beth Moore. She can say the most mildest thing and people that is, the most <laughs> get ready to get scuba gear because yeah deep. everyone's like oh my gosh this is violent 
y'all that's the, the mildest takes yeah. on the planet yeah. <laughs> racism is real bad that. oh my god what's wrong with this woman <laughs> yeah i've never really made that connection until like you were talking just now but i can't really yeah. think of too many white people that we celebrate for being nonviolent. like it's all we we, we admire that trait in 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 black and brown people around that's the world. my point and then we i hate it celebrate yeah we celebrate violence every other place yeah. like we'll we'll sit there and 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 chide uh, uh black lives matter rally if they break a couple windows but then we celebrate the boston tea party like we named a whole political movement after that it's the is the is the same thing and i never yeah. really made that connection about that particular double standard because like yeah I, I don't think that non-violence in and of itself is bad like i think it's admirable but i think it becomes something disingenuous when we celebrate only some people for doing it and celebrate the exact opposite in others yeah and i guess what i'm interrogating is why is it admirable and i i get that's how my brain works and what i resist is trite answers and like there's this thing knit within us especially when we become christians where we have like trite bible answers Mm -hmm. um of course don't hear me in my passion um listeners and think i want to be violent is the reason why i'm bringing this um, it's because I detect the hypocrisy and okay. how it's doled out. Like, why is it the highest trait applied to black people? Because we apply it when it's given to um, Rosa Parks, but not President Biden. Um, and I don't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. Go ahead. Uh, Sam. Well, well, I was I was gonna say, um, can we just like call like the binary thinking as far as what violent like that that the 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 necessary opposite to nonviolence has to be violence? Like, can we just say like that we're not speaking in those terms necessarily? Because I yeah. I'm saying that because you yeah. don't want like you're not this you're not saying that that you want to be violent. Yeah. Right. I'm so, not, and yeah. I want to go. I want to tear yeah. the club up. Like that's not. <laughs> well, and 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 what you were saying too, as far as like just sometimes how we can't necessarily be direct because it's it's taken as it's violent, uh, especially especially if it's coming from a black woman. And one of the things that that I grieve about sometimes is because like people look at my daughter and my you know you know she's she'll be two next month and oh she's so adorable she's so adorable she's so beautiful. But are you gonna say that in 20 years? Or when she's direct and she has to gather you because you decided to microaggress, uh, you know, with some sort of racist statement, is she gonna be an angry black woman then? And of course, yeah. one thing I've started doing at the top of this year, and I've noticed um, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I started even in professional settings, I have stopped um, trying to make um, even via text or emails, uh, trying to make myself seem more palatable because mm. something that I often do is put exclamations. You know, every black person is probably nodding their head because you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. When you communicate with people who not black, especially you put exclamation points to make yourself seem happy. Like that's a great idea, bro. You know, for (laughs) sure, for sure. Exclamation point. You know, I am not that, I'm not that excited about anything in life. Hey, I'm mad. We had an email voice just now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) for sure. I'll get to that. this evening. Hope this email finds you well. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Smiley face, exclamation point. Yeah. Oh, um, care how this email finds you. Yeah, I do not. I have never <laughs> thought about how this email finds you. I do not care. So one thing I've stopped oh, doing wow. is that in realizing however this email finds you is however it finds you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> period. Um, not comma, not <laughs> smiley face, clown emoji. Um, I'm not tap dancing for you in the email because <laughs> that is your problem. <laughs> It is up to you. I'm what has exhausted me my whole professional life is trying to seem happy for you all and to not be the violent Negro for you all. Um, So one thing I'm taking off the table is seeming the happy um, (laughs) person for you all. Um, And so that's part of it. So when I'm interrogating this nonviolence, it's the whole thread, you know, as we're talking about it, it's yes, the physical act of, of, of nonviolence and, and, but everything that comes with it, it's the ethic that I'm interrogating is what is in your mind when you think of nonviolence to one person that's thinking of it, it's like, oh, nonviolence is good. What do you mean by that? Mm. And to each person, it costs something. Um, and throughout history, it's cost something. Throughout American history, it cost something. I would say for the black person, for us to um, subscribe to a nonviolent ethic, it's not out of nowhere. For us, it actually is exhausting. Yeah, and, and that's times- that's kind of my larger point: is that nonviolent ethic in an American sense is not neutral. It's it, it- actually oppressive. Absolutely. And I was, I was going to add to that. I, I think it, I think part of the reason why it's so exhausting is because sometimes we do it from a place of like survival. Like, I feel like I have to feel, I have to figure out a way to not just survive this mess, but then survive life carrying the baggage from this mess. Because you know what? There's not going to be a reckoning. There's not going to come a day where this person is all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, I was horribly wrong and now let let's correct every white person that i know you know what i'm saying so that this person don't have to deal with that or you know or if it happens on a work environment to go around and be like yo we can't do this no more you know what i'm saying i was wrong in this here don't do what i did because that this you know what i'm saying like there there's probably not going to come that day so now i got to carry around the baggage from this and every other incident until I can find a space. Fortunately, I found you brothers in this podcast. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And I can let off some steam and, and, and you know, journal some stuff. And But yeah, man, it's it's exhausting for those reasons. I agree, Robert. That's what it is, man. It's baggage. If, if, <laughs> if peace here, if peace and prosperity is dependent upon me being violent, instead of you asking why you are expecting me to be nonviolent, then we have a problem. That's baggage. If, 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 the question if if all of the attention is going to my nonviolence as opposed to what my nonviolence is necessitated by or in response to then we have a problem that is not peace that yeah. is oppression like that, yeah. that that's what it is we can't idolize nonviolence as a tactic and a way of being at the cost of examining why that was necessary in the first place why mm-hmm. are you so insistent that i do not be violent Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you understand, like if if we examine the reason why you think I might resort to violence, uh, maybe we wouldn't have to come to this choice. Like maybe you wouldn't That's be so it. dependent on me having to decide <laughs> between violence and nonviolence. That part. That part. And I think that's the deeper 
that is the deeper ethic that we must get to. Like nonviolence is to me a doorway more than anything that that can lead to a deeper ethic and way of life that people often quote um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. They, they're like, look at the nonviolence. No, don't look at the nonviolence. <laughs> that man was a genius and but interrogate further to what you're saying, Trey, there are, there were mitigating factors around him and people often look at Rosa Parks was so restrained. Y'all don't get, don't get caught up on her being focused. And, focus. her, and her life was not one snapshot that you saw on that bus. Her life Seriously. was a whole stream of events and, and so we often get caught up with people of color looking at the one incident of nonviolence. And I want to, and I hope more than anything, as you hear us talking, that this would be a doorway into interrogating for yourself nonviolence. You know, when we look at what happened uh, a few years ago with Botham John being murdered in his mm. own home by a Man. white police officer, Amber Geiger, and his brother hugged. Amber Geiger. And I remember hearing all of these think pieces and thoughts from white Christians saying, now this is the gospel. The brother hugging this white police of look at this reconciliation. This is the gospel. Look at this nonviolence. Lean in. If the biggest thing that you can take away is mm. the brother of the slain hugging this person and you're saying this is the gospel, I think you missed it. <laughs> because as black people mourned and they were angry, I saw a lot of white think pieces saying, look at all these people missing the gospel. They want to be bitter and angry at white people. They're missing it. And to Trey's point, you're not understanding the, uh, like, there's so many dynamics you're missing here that you're just seeing, look at the peace on this young black man's face. Look at the forgiveness. The, 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 the message of the cross is weighty. Mm. Um, and, and, and I'm grateful for it. Yes. But it does not remove the sting of immediate trauma. True. And I think when, when, because I saw it being done and, 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 and it really got under my skin because you missed a moment to show compassion yes. for a family still to celebrate what you thought was automatically a picture of the gospel. But yet mourning with those who mourn is still very much a call and a command, a call that Christ gave us. You know what I'm saying? Like mourning with those who mourn, uh, realizing that justice was not served, right? In that situation. Uh, and you literally took the opportunity to use the gospel message to minimize black bodies in their own home unjustly murdered. 
That's really real. I just, I just, I just, I just made this connection listening to y'all, right? Because we, we keep on talking about nonviolence and peace and the equation that people make there. But I think that's a very big misunderstanding of what nonviolence is and what it's supposed to draw attention to. Nonviolence and peace are not synonymous. Um, nonviolence by, by the very like definite definition, right? Nonviolence is the opposite of violence. Um, meaning that I think if that were a spectrum, right? You would have nonviolence on one side, violence on the other side. And then like at the top in the middle, like in a pyramid shape would be peace. Um, and when we leave and depart from peace, we can either go towards the path of nonviolence or the path of violence, but either way, let's, both of those are deviations from peace, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just a matter of how we respond to that deviation from peace, if we respond violently, violently or nonviolently, because you talked about the whole um, Amber Geiger, Botham, John situation, right? And we all applauded the family for responding in that forgiving way, this nonviolent way, because they would be perfectly justified in responding violently, right? Because they they had already had their peace taken from them mm, the moment yeah. that their brother, that their son was slain minding his yeah. business. So peace and nonviolence are, I mean, nonviolence and violence are both deviations from peace. And we can't really have peace until we interrogate what took us away from that towards either violence or nonviolence, right? So even you look at the, okay, a peaceful protest in light of what I just realized, is that an oxymoron? Can there be a peaceful protest? Because the protest is necessarily in response to a deviation from peace, shalom, like that state of being in the mind. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I I was actually going to say too, I think nonviolence is not the same as anti-violence also. Oh, y'all preaching. Oh, snap. Oh, yeah. Snap. So I think I think that's where you can leave peace and still be in nonviolence protesting and making some noise, but it's still like, you know what I'm saying? It's still not quite anti-violence because we gonna we gonna make some noise, but we're not making the kind of noise that you know what I'm saying that mm-hmm. we could or probably should make, especially after some of the y'all go ahead. Amen, man. You appreciate. Okay. Don't don't be nonviolent. Be anti-violent. There we go. Amen. Okay, Samuel. Okay, drop it on us. Amen and amen. All right, bless y'all. Because we now have a Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to to visit at our patreon.com slash three black men. Think through it, pray through it, ask God (laughs) if if he would have you partake in his work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here, we have uh, some blog pieces going up. There's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon, patreon.com slash three black men. Go watch my um, kids ruin my videos. Go ahead, watch, watch them. <laughs> them. Them babies ain't want nothing, man. Matter of fact, there's more people gonna sign up to, to see them babies. How about that, bro? <laughs>